I'm grateful for those times when Jesus comes and speaks peace, aren't you? How many of you have been in a place where you needed Jesus to speak peace? Amen. All of us have been there, right? We've been through trials and troubles and turmoil. And I was thinking this morning as we were singing, I will praise him. I couldn't help but think about Nana and Barbara a year ago. But then as we were singing, I will praise him. I thought, you know what? I want to be among that number where they are singing praise to Jesus someday. Amen? And I thought about Joyce's grandmother, funeral for her this week. And then I thought about Brother Bragg. I thought, you know, I just want to be among that number. Amen? But we all go through those times in which we need Jesus to come and speak peace. And I'm so thankful that he does, especially when you're going through things like, I think I've told you this story before, but it's one of my favorites, and I don't, you know, I don't keep record of how many times I tell stories, and so someday, uh, I don't know where Andrew is, I'm going to be like his dad, I give Randall Crotz a hard time, because whenever we get together, he tells the same stories, and um, sometimes, someday I'm going to be like Randall Crotz, I'm going to be telling the same stories, and I probably already am there, but I'm going to tell you a story I've told you before, I know I have at some point. Y'all remember Chippy the parakeet? Remember that story? Oh, I love that story. It's one of my favorites. You know, Chippy never saw it coming. One second, he's peacefully perched in his cage, and the next minute, he's sucked up and washed up and blown over. See, the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean out the cage with a vacuum cleaner. And she took that vacuum hose and began to suck out the bottom of the cage. But as she was cleaning out the bottom of Chippy's cage, the phone rang. And she turned to answer the phone. And when she said hello, there was also a sucking sound as Chippy the parakeet got sucked in. Well, Chippy's owner gasped, put the phone down, turned off the vacuum, and then opened up the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive but stunned. But the bird was covered with dirt and soot, and so she had to do something, and so she took the bird and ran to the bathroom and held Chippy under the running water. She then realized that Chippy was cold and shivering, and so she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She grabbed her blow dryer and began to dry off poor Chippy with that hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. He'd been sucked in, washed up, blown over. A few days after the event, the reporter who originally wrote about the event said that poor Chippy was still alive but didn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits and stares. Kind of sounds like a lot of our lives, right? Sometimes we get sucked in, washed over, blown away and sometimes we just sit and stare been there it may be family disaster it may be death it may be disease it may be divorce maybe financial storm we all go through storms and I don't know what the storm may be in your life or what you may be going through now or what you may go through in the near future but all of us have been in storms 
All of us will go through storms. We've all been there. In Luke chapter 8, where we've been studying, we've seen that God's word said that Jesus said that the seed falls sometimes on the soil of rocky ground. Sometimes it falls on thorny ground. When it falls on rocky ground, he talked about how those who believe for a while, but in a time of testing, fall away. And you realize this morning that all of us go through a time of testing. The good soil goes through a time of testing as well. The difference is the good soil endures because the roots have dug down deep. Some seed fell on the thorny ground where they were choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. That's a storm that takes place in our lives. And we're under pressure from the world. And we, we look around us and we see what's going on in the world. And then you look at the problems in your own life. And at times you wonder, well, Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? We're in a storm. And you see, all of us will face times of testing that will reveal who we really are. And actually, those times of testing will reveal whom we really trust. Amen? So are we trusting in ourselves and what we can do? Or are we trusting in God? But are we trusting in God only as long as he continues to, you know, do miracles? Only as long as the diseases are healed. Only as long as the bank account has enough money in it to pay the bills. It's easier to trust him in those times, isn't it? But what about when the wind blows? What then? Well, look with me at Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says, one day he got in the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now we know that story very, very well. Like most Bible stories, most of us have heard that since we were a child. But I think this is one of those stories that we need reminded of regularly. We need to remember because regularly we go through storms. You see, the disciples and Jesus, are. this story begins with them being in a crisis. Jesus tells them to get in a boat and let's go across the lake. And so they head off across the lake. Now, let me just remind you where we're at in the book of Luke, because Luke has been presenting a series of events in which Jesus reveals his power. And now we're going to begin to see in the book of Luke that Luke presents now how people ought to respond to Jesus. How we ought to respond to Jesus is in faith. And so there's going to be a series of events that Luke portrays, that Luke writes about, that they take place and they 
are meant to show us this is how you respond to Jesus. You respond, you should respond by faith. And it begins here with the story of these disciples being in a serious crisis. They're out on this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The storm has come suddenly, and they're in serious danger. But now remember, these are not amateurs. They're not like me. If you get on any boat with me in the water, it could be a crisis. The last time I was out on the water, I think, was uh, Joseph comes occasionally here to service. Joseph's from Georgia, and and uh, him and I went out on Lake Blackshear in near Cordill, Georgia. And Lake Blackshear is known for the alligators in the water. There's a golf course there, and if you go golfing on that golf course, you will likely come upon an alligator while you're there. It's just part of life in southern Georgia. And uh, Joseph wanted me to go fishing with him, so he brought a canoe, and him and I decided to go out fishing. And my wife told me before I left, leave your cell phone in the truck. And you know what I did, right? I took it with me. Because, of course, I didn't listen to my wife. And so I, I, I had it in my pocket. You've always got to have your cell phone with you in your pocket. And I tried to step in the canoe, and you know what happened. That was the first of many trips into the water that day. We didn't catch any fish. I think they were all laughing at us because we capsized that canoe multiple times. But Jesus' disciples were experienced fishermen. They had experienced serious storms before. They grew up fishing on this lake. But now suddenly a storm has arisen and there's a suddenness in its character. It's, it's really, it's, it's a whirlwind. In Matthew's account of this, Matthew describes this storm. He uses a word that means earthquake. So this is just a very violent storm that arose quickly. The disciples are in a serious crisis, and that's often how our lives go. One minute everything is going fine, and the next minute, suddenly, a crisis comes. How do you respond when a crisis comes? Maybe you go to the doctor for a routine checkup, and you find out there's something far more serious going on. Maybe you go through an intersection and in a flash, all of a sudden your life is turned upside down. You get a phone call from a boss and you're in a crisis. A mail comes and you open the mail and you're in a crisis. In a moment, life can turn upside down. I probably told you this story before too, but man and woman were involved in a collision with each other. Both of their cars were demolished. But neither one of them, amazingly, were hurt. And the woman got out of the car, and police hadn't arrived yet, so she said, I'm a woman. You're a man. Look at our cars. We should be hurt, but both of us are unhurt. This must be a sign from God that we should meet. Well, she was an attractive woman, so the man thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea. I think you may be right. I agree with you completely. This must be a sign from God. Then the woman said, look at this. It's another miracle. My car's demolished, but in the back seat is a bottle of wine that's never been opened. 
I think this is a sign from the Lord that he wants us to break open this bottle of wine and celebrate. He said, you know what, I think you're right. So she opened the bottle of wine and handed it to the man and he began to drink and then he handed the bottle of wine back to her for her to take a drink and he, she said, didn't say anything, she just put the lid back on or cork or whatever it was. He said, aren't you going to have any? She said, nah, I think I'll just wait for the police. Some of you will catch on to that story a little later, but all of a sudden, his life was in a storm, wasn't it? You know, some storms we go through, our own fault, but God uses storms, doesn't he? He uses storms to strengthen our faith, and he wants us to look toward him, not away from him. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, when we go through the storm, trusting in Jesus, we get to rejoice on the other side because we've seen his glory revealed. Now, as I mentioned, sometimes the storms would go through our own fault. I think it was John Maxwell that said, if, you, if I could kick the person most responsible for most of my problems in the seat of the pants, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. And that's often true, isn't it? Sometimes the problems of our life are our own fault. But then other times, and you think about Jonah in that regard. Remember, Jonah went through a storm. It was his own fault, right? He was running away from God. But sometimes the storms we go through are just simply the result of we live in a fallen world. Amen? And because we live in a fallen world, it rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes life hurts because we have fallen bodies in a fallen world and we have fallen minds and life just hurts sometimes. Some storms are actually satanic in origin. We might mention this again here in a moment, but this storm may have been an attempt by Satan to destroy Jesus while he is sleeping. But for now, I just want you to see this storm arose suddenly. Now, the disciples there on the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. So it's, it's very low lake, surrounded by hills, and... On the one side, they say the cool air kind of rushes down those mountains and then it collides with the warm air. And so storms on the Sea of Galilee can arise very suddenly. And this was a, a hurricane of wind. And it wasn't looking good for the disciples. Verse 23 says they were filling with water and were in danger. I mean, this is personal now because it's they were filling with water. Their boat is overflowing with water and yet somehow Jesus is still able to stay asleep. I mean, we've got a crazy uh, smoke alarm in our house on the other side of the house that for whatever reason, in the middle of the night, it decides to beep. I think a battery's running dead. And I think every night at about 3 or 4 in the morning, I should say, I, that crazy thing beeps and wakes me up and I think I need to change the battery in it. It's all the way across the house, but of course I forget during the daytime to do that, and I'm remembering now. 
Just let the slightest sound, and some of us wake right up. But Jesus is sound asleep, even though the boat's filling with water. I just think that's interesting. But there's a crisis going on. And you know, in the crisis, and in our lives, there's a couple things, a couple lessons that are hard for me to learn. One of those things is that God doesn't need my advice. Isn't that a hard lesson to learn? Anybody else? God doesn't need your advice either, does he? He doesn't need my advice. And here's another hard lesson to learn is that God doesn't work on my timetable. That's a hard one to learn, isn't it? We think, man, Lord, the crisis is on right now. Lord, my boat can take no more water. We're going to sink. But God doesn't take advice and he doesn't work on our timetable. He does things in his way, on his timetable. He's just promised that he would take care of us. Psalm 44 says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget your affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. That's why I love the Psalms, because the Psalms gives voice to some of the feelings that I have when I go through a storm. And you wonder, God, are you asleep? That's what the disciples wondered. They're in a crisis, and so they cry out to Jesus. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. You see, what you do during a storm reveals who you are. It reveals what you are, and it reveals to to whom you belong. What do you do during a storm? You see, character is revealed when we go through storms. You've heard it many, many times, but when you go through a storm in life, you either become bitter or you become better. I want to become better. I don't want to become bitter. So notice what they did. They went to Jesus. Notice what they said. They said, Master, Master, we're perishing. They didn't have time in that moment to cry out to God and say, our dear, kind, loving, heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us with this beautiful day. No, they were in a serious crisis. And they cut to the chase. And it would probably be good for us sometimes to cut to the chase with our prayers. He knows what we have need of before we even ask. And Jesus knew they were near death. Or at least they thought they were. But notice that their cry to Jesus, they said, we're perishing. They went to the right person. So that demonstrates some faith there, right? But they also said, we're perishing. Their faith was mixed with fear. And the only time we should have faith and fear together is when out of fear of the Lord we serve him faithfully. Fear and faith 
really don't go together. So they went to the right person, but they're filled with fear. And so they wake up Jesus. He's sleeping peacefully. They're panicking, but Jesus is taking a power nap. They're screaming, but Jesus is sleeping. They're drowning, but Jesus is dreaming. They're fearful, but he's fearless. They're alarmed, but he's asleep. And in their perception, they think Jesus is oblivious to what they're going through. Did you hear me say that? In their perception, it appeared that Jesus was oblivious to what they were going through. Have you ever felt that way? God, are you there? God, if you're there, do you care? Like the psalm writer, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? When the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care? And how does the psalm writer answer that? Oh, yes, he cares. But we wonder, Jesus, do you care? In fact, in Mark's account of this story, we're told that the disciples woke Jesus up with that question. They, said, they woke him, Mark says, and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And really, that's the question, isn't it? Jesus, do you care? You see, I've told you many times, we don't pray to inform God of our condition. He already knows. Amen? He knows when we're going through the storm. We don't have to pray to inform him of anything. We pray to invite him into our lives, into the boat of our lives, and say, Jesus, I'm going under, but I know you care. And so will you please help? So the disciples are in a crisis. They cry out to Jesus for help. And Jesus gives the command. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Matthew's account says Jesus arose. He said first, in Matthew's account, it says the storm arose. And then he uses the same word to say that Jesus arose. You see, a risen Savior can calm any storm that arises in our life. Praise God, we serve a risen Savior. And Jesus rebuked 
And the word rebuke is the same word that Jesus used when he rebuked the unclean spirit in chapter 4, verse 35. It's the same word that he used when he rebuked a fever in Luke chapter 4, verse 39. And I find it interesting that Jesus rebukes the winds and the waves. Now, commentators are divided about whether or not the storm is demonic in its origin. It may have been, as I mentioned a few moments ago, this storm may have been an attempt by the devil. He sees Jesus sleeping. And by the way, this is the only time we're told in Scripture where it says Jesus was asleep. And so maybe the devil thought, here's an opportunity. Jesus is asleep on the boat. I don't know. But whatever the case, when Jesus woke up, when he was awoken, awakened, he rebukes the wind. And in the Old Testament, it was Yahweh who's depicted over and over again as Lord of the sea. He has the power over the sea. And the sea in the Old Testament is always it's portrayed as a, as a kind of an evil power, a monstrosity in the Old Testament. And the point is, only Yahweh can calm the sea. And so when Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the sea, he's acting as God acts because, of course, he is God in human flesh. And he manifests his power over the power of the sea. One writer put it this way, winds and water do not have minds. Winds and water do not think. They do not have ears. Winds and water do not make decisions. Yet they obey the Lord at his word. Death creation may hear and obey better than smart people. See the Lord's authority over creation. He exercises his authority through his word. The written word the Bible is meant to have the same effect in our lives as it does to the wind and the waves. You see, here's what I know about the storms that you and I face. God's word contains the answers. We just often fail to listen. Do you believe God's word contains the answers? Max Lucado, I enjoy reading him occasionally. And Max Lucado wrote in his book, A Gentle Thunder, he said, once there was a man who dared God to speak. Burn the bush like you did for Moses, God, and I will follow. Collapse the walls like you did for Joshua, God, and I will fight. Still the waves like you did on Galilee, God, and I will listen. And so the man sat by a bush near a wall close to the sea, and he waited for God to speak. And God heard the man, so God answered. He sent a fire, not for a bush, but for a church. He brought down a wall, not of brick, but of sin. He stilled the storm, not of the sea, but of a soul. And God waited for man to respond. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. But because the man was looking at bushes, not hearts, bricks, not lives, seas, and not souls, he declared that God had done nothing. Finally, he looked to God and asked, Have you lost your power? And God looked at him and said, Have you lost your hearing? Have you lost your hearing? Jesus 
has spoken. And his word is able to calm the storm. And at his command, the raging wind and waves ceased and there was calm. And that's exactly what you and I are looking for when we go through the storm, isn't it? We want the winds and the waves to cease right now. We want calm right now in our lives. That's what we want, isn't it? And that's what happened here. Jesus rebuked the storm. The word literally means be muzzled. And that's immediately what happened. The storm was over. The Savior had spoke. And when Jesus speaks, everything changes. The question is, are you listening? You see, there's been a crisis. There was a cry. And there was a command. But then I want you to see the condemnation. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Where is your faith? That's a loaded question. Is it not? Where's your faith? And that really is the question that you and I have to answer every time we go through a storm. Every time the bank account dries up. Every time the boss says you can't come back. Every time your health gives way, you have to answer the question, where is your faith? Are you only trusting in Jesus when everything is going good? When this wind and the waves are stopped. When there's calm. It's easy to trust him then. But was Jesus' power any less diminished when the storm was raging? No, it wasn't. Were the disciples... Really? In danger? You see, there was a severe storm that day, and there was a sinking ship, and there was a sleeping Savior, and there were scared sailors. But should they have been scared? Let me give you three reasons why they shouldn't have been. You see, they had reasons for faith. One, they had the promise from Jesus that they were going to make it to the other side. Back up in the story, and Jesus said to them, get in the boat, let's go to the other side of the lake. And if Jesus says to you, let's go to the other side, you're going to make it to the other side. Amen? If God makes a promise, you can take that promise to the bank. Has God given us promises in his word? Absolutely he has. And the God who makes a promise always keeps his promises. You know what could have happened that day? The disciples could have laid down in the boat next to Jesus and went to sleep with him. Because Jesus had said, let's go to the other side. And if Jesus says, you're going to make it to the other side, you will. You see, they should have had faith because Jesus had told them they'd make it to the other side. But also they should have had faith because Jesus was in the boat with them. And if you've got Jesus in your boat, you know, Allstate says you're in good hands with Allstate, right, Daniel? But if you ask Daniel, he might tell you otherwise. <laughs> Haven't worked for him for so many years. 
But if you have Jesus in your boat, you're in good hands. You can trust him. You see, they also had another reason for faith, and that was Jesus was at peace. And if Jesus is at peace, why are we troubled? Right? He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. So why is it that so often we feel like he's forsaken us? That's what the enemy breathes in our ear, isn't it? If God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this storm right now. Isn't that the lie the devil tells? That's the lie he tells over and over and over again. And what's he trying to get you to do? He's trying to get you to act out of faith. He's trying to get you to doubt that God cares so that you'll take matters into your own hands and try to fix it yourself rather than trusting in Jesus. So there's the crisis, there's the cry, there's the command. There's the condemnation. And this account ends with confusion. He said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. You see, Luke ends this account with that question... And that question is left unanswered. Calming storms is something that only God can do. And that's exactly the point. Jesus is calming the storm. And so the disciples are confronted with the question of who Jesus is. That's the question that's right here. They've got to answer that question. Now, as we will see in the book of Luke, and this is, this is awesome, I love this. As we'll see in the book of Luke, we're going to see some more stories. And eventually that question of who Jesus is is going to climax in Luke chapter 9, verse 20. When Peter is going to be asked a question by Jesus, and Jesus is going to look at Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus will get all of us to that point where we have to answer the question, who is Jesus? Is he your Lord? As C.S. Lewis famously put it, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And if he's your Lord, where is your faith? That's the question that confronts every one of us. So let's go back to the storm for a minute. Disciples are in the, in the storm. But when you're with the Creator in a crisis, you can be confident He can calm the storm. Disciples are in a crisis, right? But they're with the one who created the wind, and the waves. Amen? 
And so are we. A few months ago, and I'm closing, a few months ago, we were in Enterprise, Alabama for Rennie Evans' funeral. Rennie Evans was a faithful pastor for many, many years. Pray for that church and for his wife. But while we were in Enterprise, we intentionally took our kids and drove through downtown Enterprise, Alabama because we wanted them to see this. Now, why did I want my kids to see that? Well, I wanted them to see this monument because I wanted, them to, t- I wanted to tell them the story. So I told them the story as we were driving. You know the story about that monument? That monument honors the bull weevil. Now, why would you erect a monument for a little insect that nearly destroyed the cotton crop upon which the town's economy depended? Well, the story is that farmers in that area were used to planting cotton every year. That's what they lived off of until the year the boll weevil destroyed the cotton crop. Well, what do you do when you're a farmer and your crop is destroyed? You go broke, right, Ben? The next year, the farmers mortgaged their homes and planted cotton again. They hoped for a good harvest. But as the cotton began to grow, the insect returned, and it destroyed the crop for the second year and wiped out most of the farms. The few who survived those two years decided to experiment the third year. And so they planted something they never planted before. They planted peanuts. And the peanuts proved to be a hardy crop. And the market was ravenous for it. And so those farmers who survived those first two years reaped profits the third year that enabled them to pay off their debts and they planted peanuts from then on and they erected a monument and the inscription there at the square as you can see says in profound appreciation of the bull weevil and of what it has done as the herald of prosperity this monument is erected by the citizens of Enterprise Coffee County Alabama they erected a monument to what nearly destroyed them. Like Joseph in the Old Testament, we may go through storms. Storms that Joseph said were meant for evil. But God was able to turn the storm around in Joseph's life and use it for his good. We simply have to keep our trust in Jesus. So my question for you is, is your faith in him? Are you trusting him even in the storm? God help us. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you that you do all things well. And we can trust you. You are good. You are good. 
And while the devil may intend for our evil, you are even able to take what the devil intends for evil and turn it around for our good. Help us, Lord, to keep our faith in you in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm. Help us to praise you in the storm. Help us, Lord, to keep our faith in you. Help us, Lord, not to be rocky ground. Help us, Lord, not to be thorny ground. But help us, Lord, to be good ground and bear fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.